this morning? Good, this October fall break morning. Everybody doing well, parents? I especially want to know how you all are doing. This week is going to be maybe a little bit of a grind, hopefully a lot of joy, but maybe a little bit of a grind this week. We doing okay so far? Man, skeptical. It's only Sunday, guys. Come on. Come on. Come on. But hey, I'll be with you in that as well. We've got three of our own. So we are in the third and final week of our Alone series, and we've uh, really wanted to address, I mean, post-2020, there has been a loneliness pandemic going on. I mean, every statistic will show you that even though we have more access to communication than ever before, we might be as lonely as ever before. And I read a study uh, just the other day by Cigna that came out, and it concluded that loneliness is to your health what 15 cigarettes per day is to your health. Loneliness is debilitating. And a Harvard University study uh, concluded that Gen Z is the loneliest generation on record. Now, this is a big issue in our culture, but we wanted to take this series because we believe that loneliness does not have to be the new normal, that we can enter flourishing, good, strong relationships, and when those seasons of loneliness do occur, because they will occur, that we can actually have hope and trust that there's a purpose in it, and that God will use that situation. He won't waste our suffering, that there will be good things ahead. And so that's kind of the heart behind this series. I want to say one more thing about that. If you are someone here this morning who's struggling with chronic loneliness, man, please come talk to me after the service, or at least talk to somebody that you trust, because we want to come alongside of you during this, help you get the help that you need, and also the community that you need, because we don't need to deal with this issue alone. Uh, during this series, we have looked almost exclusively at the story of Joseph. The first week, we talked about how Joseph was extremely lonely and isolated, and there were three things that really guided him in his loneliness. The first one, very simply, was that he knew that God was with him. And now that's key, right? Because he knew that even though he felt alone, that he ultimately was not and would never be completely alone. And then the second thing we talked about is that he knew and trusted that there was purpose in his suffering. That, that God was not going to waste his suffering or that God wasn't overseeing the suffering, but that God would actually take a difficult situation that occurred to him um, and use that situation for good. And then the third thing we talked about is that he also knew that God could help him heal from the pain and from the trauma in that situation that led to his uh, isolation so much that he could be liberated from it one day. That he had trust that God could work through that so much and free him from what's occurred, or at least the pain of what's occurred. And then last week we talked about how if we move towards others, 
we will be less alone. And we talked about how difficult it may be to, uh, to move towards others who have wronged us. But we looked at a story um, where Joseph encounters these brothers um, that had sold him into slavery when he was about 17 years old. And uh, there is a severe famine in the lands in Egypt and all around Egypt. And these same brothers are looking for food to survive. So they come before the leader of Egypt and it's really awkward for them because the leader of Egypt is now their brother that they sold into slavery. And uh, they don't notice him right away, but he notices them and he um, takes a little bit of time, but finally he can't control himself anymore and he reveals himself to them. And it's this powerful, powerful moment of forgiveness, of letting go of his fleshly desire for revenge and moving towards his brothers and sisters. And we see this beautiful moment of just weeping and hugging and reconciliation together. We talked about how because Jesus has forgiven us, we can freely forgive others. And we talked about having the same mindset of Christ Jesus in our relationships. And this week, we're going to conclude our series on alone. And we're going to conclude also the story of Joseph. We've gone from Genesis 37 to 45. We're going to conclude through 50 today, and we're going to talk about how we can help others to never have to do life alone, because God has met us in our isolation, now we can freely meet others in theirs as well. Now, imagine for a second a world where you do not know that you could never be completely alone. Now, imagine a world where you do not know the Creator God where you do not know the one who authentically loves us and says he will never abandon us. Imagine how debilitating loneliness would be in that scenario. And this is what's happening in our culture. As we become less and less of a Christian nation, the only possible result for us is to give into loneliness and despair and hopelessness and purposelessness. Because here's the thing. Being alone is completely contingent on circumstance in that scenario, right? If you put your ultimate relational security in someone like your spouse and something happens to that spouse, then you will be utterly, ultimately alone. You think about putting your stock in your ultimate relational security in your kids. Well, one day those kids are going to grow up and live their own lives, rendering you feeling completely alone. Just the other day, I, uh, <laughs> one of my girls, as politely as could be, she comes up to me, they're playing, and I'm trying to play with them and stuff, and she says, um, Daddy, would it be okay if we just played by ourselves for a little bit? <laughs> I said, oh, man. I said, oh, is this what the future is going to be like? And the answer is yes, this is what the future is going to be like, right? And If I have my ultimate relational stock in being a dad, that's going to end up being a very lonely place for me. And this is the way that it is with the world. This is the way it has to be with the world. That even if they're not in a lonely place, there is an anxiety, there is a fear, because their uh, security relationally has to be fully circumstantial. And fear of 
that circumstance changing must control them. This is the way it is with the world. And y'all, those things I mentioned, those are good things, great things. The best gifts that God has given me. My wife, Morgan, she's the best person I've ever met. My daughters, I love them so much. But if I'm putting my ultimate relational security in them, it's going to be anxious and it's going to be lonely one day. And this is how it has to be with the world. When the world gets that phone call that we all dread, there's nothing there that they can take stock in. There's no dependability in that moment to rely on because there is no God for them. And loneliness and despair and hopelessness has to occur. And y'all, that's why it's my desire for us at Grace Meadows to meet people in this space. Because God has met us in this space, in our lonely space, in our despair, in our suffering, or whatever the case is. So now we can freely meet them in theirs as well. And God tells us this good news in Psalm 68, 5. He says this in part. He says uh, that he is a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows. And then he concludes in uh, verse 6. He says, uh, God wants to bring those who are lonely into his family, into his family. Because spiritual family is the only place that people can go where they uh, have someone at the head that they can fully and truly depend on to be there all the time, no matter the situation, no matter the circumstance. We have someone at the head, Jesus, who has defeated death itself, and he will always be there with us. And we can invite people into this wonderful spiritual family. Y'all, people are searching for satisfaction. People are searching for security, for relationship. And I believe that God wants to bring lonely people into our family here at Grace Meadows. No, into his family here at Grace Meadows. Do we realize today that we have good news, unshakable good news, that God's want, God wants to speak through us to help grow his family and help others have a dependability that nothing else in the world offers this morning. And to get into that further, we will continue in the story of Joseph. If you have your Bibles, we'll be in Genesis chapter 50 for most of our time. So let me get you kind of up to date of where we're at. Um, so the brothers reconcile with Joseph and uh, Joseph sends them back to the land of Canaan to go collect their dad and bring him back to Egypt so that they can survive five more years of this famine. Well, again, Joseph's father loved Joseph so much and he was devastated when he found out that Joseph was dead. And so to hear this shocking, frankly, unbelievable probably news to him, um, he gets his stuff, he comes back to Egypt, and he sees Joseph face to face. And it's this wonderful moment. Uh, Genesis 46, 30 says this. It says, Israel said to Joseph, that's one of the names for Joseph's father, now I am ready to die since I have seen for myself that you are still alive. Now, notice that the father is called Israel here. So God changes his name from Jacob to Israel before Joseph was even born, but there's this back and forth of his name 
Uh, sometimes even in these stories here, he's referred to as Jacob, and sometimes he's referred to as Israel. And a lot of scholars think that uh, Jacob represents kind of his old self, and that Israel represents his new self. And so sometimes you'll see um, when Egypt is referenced, he's called Jacob. And when Israel is referenced, he's called Israel. Or when Canaan is referenced, he's called Israel. Well, he comes to the land of Egypt here, but he's still called Israel in this moment. This is so cool. Now, why is he called Israel in this moment? Because he's being completely made new in this interaction. I mean, to see his son, who he thought was dead, all these years, 13 years, and he comes face to face with him, of course he's called Israel in this moment because his heart is being made new. He's so excited to the point where he says, there will be nothing greater than this moment. As long as I live, God can go ahead and take me now if he wants to. This wonderful, wonderful image. And they get to spend about 10 more years together. In, in chapter 49, um, Joseph's father goes ahead and uh, does in fact die. And just before he dies, he asks Joseph to, to lay his body in the land of Canaan. So there's a 70-day mourn in, in Egypt for Joseph's father. And this is noteworthy because a Pharaoh's mourning time was 72 days. So that shows you just how esteemed Joseph and his family is here in the land of Canaan. And then they go uh, seven more days to uh, the land of Canaan and mourn him there as well. And I want to draw our attention to Genesis 50, 14. It says this. This is a seemingly small detail, but I think we've got to hit this detail. It says this. After burying his father, Joseph returned to Egypt together with his brothers and all the others who had gone with him to bury his father. So, y'all, in, in times of trouble and pain, we as believers, we go together. We mourn together. If somebody is mourning, we mourn with them. Whether we're a blood relative or we're one of the others, we drop everything and we tend to that need to mourn with others. This is what it looks like to be in the family of God, when there's loneliness, when there's pain, when there's trauma, we meet people right in that space. This is a wonderful picture of saying, hey, who are, who are these others? Well, we know a little bit about that. Some of them are armed guards, but, but some of them we don't know. They're probably just people who loved Joseph and just wanted to be there with him. This is what it looks like to be the church. And then they get back to Egypt. Uh, the, <laughs> the reality really hits these brothers that their dad is no longer with them, and they are concerned that Joseph all this time only forgave them because, you know, his father's old, and they didn't want to, he didn't want to cause distress on his dad who was about to die, so they, it kind of hits them that, you know what, maybe now that our father's dead, uh, Joseph might have his vengeance on us. So they say this uh, in 15 through 17 says, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, which is really an interesting way to say that. Uh, oh, they just, just now saw that he was dead. Um, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you're to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. 
Now please forgive the sins of the servant of God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. Now, a couple things to point out here real quick. One is there's really nothing to tell us that, that Joseph's father did in fact have this dying request. In fact, there was 10 years where he could have probably made this request. And in chapter 49, he gives one final charge to all of his sons. It seems like that would be the perfect opportunity for him to say, hey, you guys, can y'all reconcile and, and forgive one another, right? So we have no record that this is, in fact, the case that he left this message. So they're likely telling a lie out of fear in this moment. The second thing I want to point out is the reality that these sons, these brothers, still have no concept of forgiveness and grace at this time. So little, in fact, that they're trying to manipulate the powers at play, their brother, in order to save themselves, in order to gain right standing, in order to jockey for position, in order to uh, improve their status, save their behinds, they give in to fear and they lie as a consequence. And again, this is the way it has to be ultimately in the world, doesn't it? This is the way it has to be. See, outside of Christ, we are always trying to use circumstances to leverage our own gain, our own advantage, our own benefit, aren't we? But here's the thing. It was never about our effort, was it? Our approval comes from the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. It is not our righteousness. It was always about His righteousness in the first place. And I think Joseph weeps here because he just says, Man, my brothers who have spent the last 13 years with me, they they have no understanding of God, the character of God and His grace. And again, this is where we find ourselves today in our culture as we know less and less about the character of God, the grace of God. We have to give in to these things that these brothers give into. And we live our lives beaten down by pain, beaten down by the circumstance, instead of understanding that there is one who oversees the whole thing. And see, God wants us to operate out of a freedom, out of a freedom that comes from knowing that Jesus has gotten the approval of the Father by living a perfect life and then paying down the debt that we owed and then demonstrating that he is more powerful than anything including death by on the third day raising that's where we put our stock and that's where freedom comes and then we can live a life in freedom not fear but freedom and I think these brothers have no understanding of the character of God here in this story verse 18 His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? See, remember in chapter 45, Joseph has already forgiven them. And the reason he did it was not because of his father's will, his earthly father's will, but instead it was God's will. And 
God's will has truly become Joseph's will. He's living in such a freedom here as to just give everything over to God. He says, God will handle the justice. God is overseeing the situation. God is providing for his people. God is demonstrating hope in the midst. See, to Joseph, it was never up to him to bear the burden of justice. It was up to him to freely let go of that and give it to God in the first place. Y'all, what do we need this morning to let go of and give it to God? See, these brothers are just like the culture that we find ourselves in today. There's no understanding. They do not have this rock, this dependability, this security that we can lean on in the midst of our pain and our struggle so that we can just let go of it and give it to God. Verse 20. He says, Joseph says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Now, we talked a a lot about this last week, so I won't get into the forgiveness part of it. But the only difference here between what he says uh, in verse 45 and what he says now is he does acknowledge their sin in the matter, which I think is a really, really cool concept for us to understand in just this one sentence that, that this here, the culture is looking for this rock, this dependability, this truth that they can lean on, and it's found right here. He says, essentially what he's saying is God creates everything good, and then sin enters, and the enemy takes things and twists them around and, and, um, and, and uses those for his benefit. But then God takes those same exact things, and he can take them, and he can use them for good. And so that's what Joseph is saying here. And this is what the world can really gravitate towards, right? This idea that, that, that there is a God... That he is transcendent of any circumstance. He's created everything good. And it's the ultimate quick chess match, as far as I'm concerned, between God and the enemy. God makes a move. The enemy twists that move. And then God takes that move that he twists and turns it back to good in his checkmate. And that's what we can take stock in. And that's what we can show others is that God is above it all. He is dependable. Your peace does not have to be on circumstance. It does not have to be dependent on anything else because God is there. He'll always be there, and you'll never, ever, ever be alone. Verse 21, Joseph says, So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Now, I think... Joseph is so kind to them because he pities them in a way, right? He says, man, you have no concept here of grace. You have no concept of the character of God in this moment. So I'm just going to continue to show you. In fact, when Paul describes what love is in 1 Corinthians, the very first thing he says is love is patient, right? And so he's, he's saying the same thing again to them. He's saying, guys, don't be afraid. I know I've told you this before, but don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Why? Because he pities them. He, he knows that they have no concept of who God is. And he also knows that God has been kind to him in his suffering, in his isolation over the years. And he's seen the power and the authority of God above his situation. And he wants his brothers. He cares about his brothers. He wants these brothers to have that same 
peace and understanding in the midst of their sin. What does it look like for us to have the same mentality in our relationship with others? With the people that we care about who don't know Jesus, who aren't living with this peace, who are debilitated by loneliness or other traumas, what does it look like for us to enter that space and to be patient with people and to be kind and reassure people and be there for them in their distress? Y'all, people, even if they don't realize it, they are searching for this good news. Our hearts long to be in right relationship with our Creator God, whether we consciously realize it or not. People are searching. They're searching for the satisfaction, the security, this relationship that only Jesus offers. And I think we can enter that space and plead with God on behalf of the people we care about. Say, God... Enter this space. We're not the Holy Spirit. We can't do it. But God, enter this space. Speak through me. Help these people that I care about know how good you are and how dependable you are in the midst. Y'all, this is the only dependable structure. This is the only dependable place that we can go. Is to an indestructible God, an immovable God who will always be our rock no matter what. Good times or bad. One of the reasons I love the story of Joseph so much is that Joseph truly is a glimpse into the coming Jesus. See, I'd like to think that I'm Joseph in this story, but the reality is I'm the older brother. That we are the older brothers in this story, and despite the fact that we have had hate and jealousy and anger, and all these things in our heart, Jesus comes to us and he repeats essentially what Joseph says in verse 21. If you don't mind, put that up there again, David. He says this to us. He says, so then, in your sin, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassures us, and he speaks kindly to us. Y'all, we owed a great debt. And Jesus comes and he pays that debt on our behalf because he desires reconciliation so much with us that he comes and gives up his own life on our behalf to pay that debt for us so that we can be with him forever. And y'all, if that's the case, then we will never be alone. If Jesus has made a way, if he has defeated death itself, the things that we are so afraid of and bogged down by, we will never be alone again. If Jesus has met us in that space, we will never be alone again. I want that to ring true in your minds as we conclude this series that the enemy will try to distort that statement and try to tell you, yeah, but have you considered this? No, 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 you will never be alone again. And because Jesus has met us in that space, in our loneliness, in our struggle, now we can freely meet others in that space as well. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. Well, we just thank you for the truth of your word that like (laughs) I've read this story many times and it just hits you in a whole new way again that your word has power in it. And Father, I pray that you will help us in this church. If there are people here struggling that 
they, they, maybe they just, they just don't believe that you will always be there and you'll never leave them and they never have to be alone again. Man, I pray that you will just uh, speak a verse to them during this time. Holy Spirit, saturate their hearts. Give them a belief for the very first time that, that you are always going to be here, that you are immovable, that, that, uh, that you will always be with us no matter the circumstance. And so, Father, I pray if there uh, is doubt this morning, I pray that you will drown that out with praise here in this place. Father, I pray that you will create in us a church that, that always desires to meet people where they are in their loneliness and bring them into your family. Father, this is a great family. And Father, I pray that you will continue to create in us hearts that just long to be like Jesus that we desire to transform to the likeness of Jesus because he has demonstrated for us what it looks like to forgive others, to, to lean on him, and to, uh, to trust and have understanding of a glimpse of the Father and who you are. And so, Father, this morning, if, if there are people who need to have the courage to come down to the altar to pray, I pray that you'll do that. I pray that if there are people who need the courage to uh, have a, a boldness to take next steps in knowing you in a deeper and more full way. I pray that there will be courage to do that as well this morning. Father, as we enter this time of worship, I pray that you will create a praise in our hearts for your name because it is a great name. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.